Welcome to the Glenelg Hopkins CMA podcast, a podcast giving you an insight to what happens behind the acronym GHCMA. Hi, I'm Liz Meacham. In this series, we're going to take a look at what a catchment management authority does, a few of the projects the organisation is delivering on the ground. We're going to meet some of the passionate people delivering those projects and hopefully along the way, give you an insight to how we are protecting and enhancing the land, waterways and biodiversity of the Glenelg Hopkins region of southwest Victoria. In today's podcast, we meet the VVP team of Aggie and Ben, two natural resource gurus in the vegetation world who are charged with looking after something called the VVP. They explain why looking after these grasslands is not about locking them up and how that's just about the worst thing you can do to them and why recently they've been clocking up the kilometres playing Cupid to an oddly named little yellow flower. Now, Aggie and Ben, you are the VVP team. What is the VVP? The VVP is the Victorian Volcanic Plains bioregion, which um, is basically where all the volcanoes are across western Victoria, stretching from almost the South Australian border across to the Craigieburn grasslands in Melbourne and yep. up around the Great Dividing Range and down towards the coast. So it's a pretty important area when it comes to grasslands then? Yes, it would. I think we could safely say it's probably the most important area. Yep. And important say. geologically for the world as well. It's the third largest volcanic plain on the planet. And it's, you know, the oldest volcanoes on the volcanic plains were sort of going off around 5 million years ago around Melbourne. And then as the continents kind of shifted across the hotspot, we see pressure building up over time and we get these eruptions. And so if you go from Melbourne to Hamilton, you're going to probably pass around 400 eruption points. And as those volcanoes erupted and they spilt the lava across the plains, it formed basalt rock. And then as that basalt has weathered down, it's weathered down to a heavy clay. And it's that clay that's been really important in determining what type of plants can grow on the volcanic plains. Perfect. Now we're out here in the wind today on the VVP and it's part of a pretty big federally funded project that you guys are doing. So what is it that you're doing and what are you trying to protect? Well, we're we're working with a a range of people across all tenures. So we're working with farmers and anyone and everyone who's got anything to do with managing public land. Uh, The aim of the project really is to focus on three key plant communities I suppose two of which are only found on the volcanic plains so that's the natural temperate grasslands and the grassy clipped woodlands of the VVP and also another community called the seasonal herbaceous wetlands which aren't just restricted to the VVP but a large portion of them are found on the volcanic plains. And within those natural temperate grasslands there are some pretty spectacular plants aren't there Ben? There are yep yep there's plenty of spectacular plants. I think there's around 3,000 native plants in the volcanic plains. Uh, and, so, I mean, the ecosystem itself is critically endangered. That's because it is, um, you know, when Europeans arrived here, it was a very open landscape. It looked like what they would recognise as an agricultural landscape, grassy, very few trees. 
So as a result, most of it was cleared for development, mainly agriculture. Um, so the ecosystem itself is extremely rare and a lot of the plants that are restricted to the volcanic plains are also very rare, like um, the spiny rice flower, um, the butt ringlewort. Yeah. And so what are you doing to protect those grasslands and the plants within there? Are you just fencing everything off and walking away? What is it that your no, project is doing? Not at all. Well, on private land, we're working with farmers who have got grasslands and other communities, but grasslands especially. And while sometimes there is fencing, it's more talking to them about how they need to manage them. So rather than just having stock in there all the time and so eating the plants while they're trying to flower and set seed, we say maybe leave these areas alone and just don't graze them while the plants are doing their thing and then go back in and graze them just to keep the biomass down. It's not the type of ecosystem that you could just lock up and leave it and think everything was going to be fine. It is an ecosystem that's dependent on disturbance and that probably goes back to Aboriginal people managing the plains for tens of thousands of years with fire. And that's been really important in controlling the competition of the dominant plant species. And here it's the kangaroo grass. So if you just lock it up or put a fence around it and don't do any kind of control on the competition, what happens is kangaroo grass will just smother out all of the other plants and you'll lose your diversity. So we do a bit of a mix of trying to burn these sites as well as um, as an alternative trying to replicate the burning regime as closely as we can using grazing. So um, getting grazing in the same time of year we'd expect fire and for a very short period of time. So it's sort of replicates the process as much as we possibly can. And so the burning is part of the regime of looking after it. Yep. What else do you use other than controlled grazing? Or they are pretty much the two main methods of protecting these grasslands that you use. The best sites um, can pretty much be maintained just with fire. So on our roadsides, we see where they, you know, basically with um, European settlement and the CFA starting to manage these sites at that point in time and burning them each year, it's, it was basically replicating what Aboriginal people had been doing previously. And that process of burning means that the soil itself or soil crust remains intact, which acts as a barrier to invasion. So you don't really need to worry about weed control so much as you can maintain that soil crust. So in the really good sites, it really is just a matter of burning. But in areas on farmland where we've got stock going in there and kicking over that soil crust, we, it provides little, little micro sites for the exotic species to come in and invade the system. So in those instances, we look at particular weed species that will dominate in the system and knock out the natives and sort of focus on controlling some of those. Yep. And so the VVP has the coolest named plant going around in it, in the button wrinkle wart. Totally. What is the button wrinkle wart? It, it is a little perennial daisy that isn't found in many places at all. We've got, I think, 10 populations found in Western Victoria. There's um, a few populations in Melbourne and up in New South Wales in the ACT, but um, we focus on one particular race mm. of the button wrinklewort, which is called the, the tetraploid race. But um, yeah, there are only, well, we knew of nine populations and very recently one new population was discovered on Karamut Road by a local field botanist. And um, But yeah, it's, it's an incredibly rare little plant and some of these populations, you know, there's around 20 plants in them yep. and that's all. Yep. And your new population at Karamut, how many plants are in that? Just the one. 
Yep. Just <laughs> and, one plant. <laughs> and we know, based on the biology of this species, that on its own, it's kind of doomed. Um, they can't really disperse very far, so seed only goes about a metre from the adult plant. So our other closest remnant population up at Wycliffe is never going to disperse down there. They're also self-incompatible, so they can't pollinate themselves. So being on its own, it's going to have to find a partner from somewhere, and it's going to need assistance to do that. <laughs> and that's been your fun little job in the last little while. You two have been playing a dating game with the Karamit Button Rink Award, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so can you explain a bit of that process and what you've kind of been doing to try and make sure that the Karamit Button Rink Award actually replicates itself? Yeah. So we, the, the closest population we have is up at Wycliffe. There's about 60 plants up there. Um, it seems to be a pretty stable population. But what we've been doing is, as that's come into flower, we've been going up with the secateurs, cutting off a flower, putting it in some water, getting in the car, rushing down to Karamit, pulling out our flower, and then rubbing the two together to try and get some pollen transfer from our Wycliffe flower to our, our plant there at Karamit. So you're basically being Cupid and bees all in the one process. Yep, that's hmm. right. Perfect. And we're doing this multiple times. Um, the... The flower itself will sort of start, the flowers will start coming out on the outside of the flower and then as you move further in, the inside flowers will start to come out. So we've been doing it multiple times to try and increase the chances of actually getting some pollination and then some viable seed later on. And how will you know that's been successful? You've collected the seed? Yep, so we won't know until we start um, trying to germinate the seed and we'll just wait until the summer sort of cools off a bit otherwise if we try to sow now we'll probably end up with dead seedlings so we'll hold off um, we'll sow them and then we'll be able to tell and we've also collected seed from Wycliffe it's a bit of an insurance and it is probably a good idea to plant individuals from the Wycliffe population anyway to try and increase genetic diversity at that caramel site. Yep so the VVP project is a massive part of what you two do at the CMA but it's not the only thing that you both do can you quickly Tell me what else it is that you do at work other than this uh, nationally funded project. I don't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do anything. This is, this is a huge project and it's probably, funding-wise, it's probably the, the largest project at CMA. So Aggie is focused full-time on the Volcanic Place project, so she doesn't have time to work on anything else. <laughs> I'm, I'm only part-time on the Volcanic Plains project, so I also work on a red-tailed black cockatoo project. And in the past, I've done quite a few projects focused on um, riparian restoration. Yeah. Perfect. Excellent. Thank you both for your time today. Thanks, Liz. And Aggie certainly does have her work cut out for her, and we're pretty happy to have two people as passionate as Aggie and Ben dedicated to their jobs and looking after the grasslands of the VVP. Now, if you would like to follow Aggie and Ben's journey of procreating little button wrinklewarts, you can follow the Lonely Button Wrinklewart on Facebook. If you'd like to learn more about what the other projects the CMA are up to, you can find us as Glenelg Hopkins CMA on Facebook as well. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter under GHCMA, or you can look at our website at ghcma.vic.gov.au. My thanks to Aggie and Ben for their time today recording a podcast about the VVP. Aggie and Ben's project, The Grasslands of the Volcanic Plains, is funded by the Australian Government's National Land Care Program. Thanks for listening. <laughs>